Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. The PCOS Diva podcast is proud to be sponsored by OvoSense Real-Time Ovulation Monitor, helping women with PCOS take back control of their cycles. OvoSense is a true fertility monitor that can help you track fertility medications and supplements along with any positive health changes you make to see if they're having an effect. OvoSense consists of a medical-grade silicone vaginal sensor, which tracks core body temperature every five minutes while you sleep. And in the morning, you simply download your data to the OvoSense app. It's quick and easy. Only OvoSense offers real-time, 24-hour advanced prediction in cycle and ovulation confirmation with 99% clinical proven accuracy and will work for you even if you have highly irregular cycles. Find out how OvoSense can help you understand your fertility at www.ovosense.com. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to another edition of the PCOS Diva podcast. This is your host, Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOSDiva.com. And today we're going to be answering many of the questions that I receive from PCOS Divas, and um, so many of you I know are trying to conceive, and you are wanting to know what can you do to prepare for a healthy pregnancy, and what kind of testing you need, um, and what do you eat before and during pregnancy, and you know, I know a lot of women with PCOS are are dealing with gestational diabetes, and and we want to kind of stave that off. And in today's podcast, we're going to give you some information for you to do that. And I brought in one of my favorite fertility experts, and that's Dr. Mark Sklar. So welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast, Dr. Sklar. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. I'm super excited to be here. Well, let me give our listeners a little bit of your background. Uh, For more than 15 years, Dr. Mark Sklar has been helping couples struggling to conceive and have healthy babies. And in addition to his Doctor of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, you trained at Harvard Medical School, Mind Body Medical Institute. You're the creator of MarkSklar.com and ReproductiveWellness.com, the co-author of Secret to Conception and a fellow of the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine and a medical advisor for Natural Health International. And you are the fertility expert. Um, and you, you're, a, and just to let folks know that you are in San Diego. So if anybody is local in that area, um, and they can find you. And you, I know you're online too. Um, so why don't why don't we start with preparing for conception with PCOS? So for the women that are trying to conceive, what should they be thinking about? 
Yeah, you know, I think this is a really, really important topic and, and certainly the place to start when I start working, coaching, or, or treating patients. Um, you know, either patients already know that they have PCOS or have been told, um, or they have maybe some inclination that they might have it, but they haven't done any initial investigation to figure that out. And and so my first step is really all about, um, in terms of preparing for conception, is really about gathering information and gathering more information about the type of PCOS that, that um, someone might have. I know you've covered the variations and types of PCOS in, in other podcasts, so the listeners can kind of reference that. But um, you know, there most women that I find that I work with and that I see who have PCOS, there's it's very uncommon to find someone um, two two patients who are very similar in their presentation. You know, we're all very unique and very different, and, and need um, a, a little bit of a different focus in our plan when we're trying to get pregnant or even just trying to regulate. PCOS and our hormones, and so I think it's really important to start with that gathering for more information phase, and and a lot a lot of that really for me um, comes back to the investigation part, the the testing phase and and lab work part of it, um, as well as trying to figure about figure out how to make the changes that need to be made your own and work for you, so that preparing. Uh, phase for conception I find to be very individualized for patients um, or at least I find that it's when it's the most effective it should be individualized for patients and um, and those are kind of the initial framework of how I start to look at it uh, you know what do you, would you mind for those women who haven't really heard um, the podcast or read the articles about the different sort of phenotypes of PCOS um, could you give us just a quick overview Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there there are, depending on what you read and reference, there could be upwards of 10 different types of PCOS, some even as simple as just having um, polycystic ovaries, but all your other lab work, you know, being, being normal. And then there's going to be four um, specific variations that I find um, that come up, right, that, that we see um, and it, it's been somewhat documented um, in the past in, re, in some research. And so you have um, the, the first type who would be someone who, have, who has polycystic ovaries but also um, is not having a regular menstrual cycle or no cycle at all and then also has increased androgens or, you know, testosterone to keep it simple. And then the second type would be a woman who um, just has the increased androgens and testosterone and also doesn't have a regular cycle um, or has um, no cycle at all. The third type is a woman who has a regular cycle, which is great, but her androgens are still elevated um, and her uh, ovaries are still polycystic. And then the third one is that the androgens are normal, but um, the cycle is still irregular and the ovaries are polycystic. And then it really can start to really get much more complex. Um, and that's, that's why there's like the four basic types and then we, we go on from there. I think the overarching theme with all patients is this um, blood sugar, glucose, insulin factor that definitely needs to be looked at um, across the board. 
Okay, so when um, a woman is kind of ready to sort of begin this process um, of in her you know fertility journey, uh, what how can she advocate for the right testing um, with her doctor? I think that's something that's really important. She needs to sort of understand the baseline tests that she should be receiving. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's hard. The advocating piece I find is really difficult for patients. Um, I think there's a fine line, and a lot of it really depends on the gynecologist that you're working with and their um, reasonability, and if they're if they don't allow their egos to get in the way to work mm-hmm. with patients, um, really is I find to be key. Um, and also going in um, with you know, loaded with the information of what you should be having tested. Oftentimes, women have been diagnosed when they were young in their teens, um, or they're just purely diagnosed based off of the visual of the polycystic ovaries. And so because of that, they say, well, we don't need to look at anything else. So I do um, agree with you. You need to be your own advocate, and you need to really go in with the information. And in many ways, you I think it's important that they start off asking Nicely, but at some point, I think you have to demand it. And if it if it, you're not getting what you want, I think the two ways to then get what you want is to either switch gynecologists or to order the tests on your own. There's a lot of ways that you can get blood work um, um, on your own as a consumer, um, and actually for a much lower and reduced and, and somewhat reasonable um, out-of-pocket expense as well. And then you can always try to submit it to insurance afterwards. So, um, in terms of testing, let's kind of review some of the basics that I that I like to recommend. Um, I do like to have blood work done um, and having, you know, the first place to start would be having your um, blood sugars checked, so fasting glucose, fasting insulin, and then the diabetes marker, um, which is hemoglobin A1C. And then also having your androgens tested, so testosterone, both free and total testosterone, and then uh, DHEA um, as well. And so those are some of the key markers um, for overarching looking at uh, your, to see kind of where you fall. It helps dictate which one of those four phenotypes you're going to fall into. And then if you haven't had any of the initial blood work done at all, then I do think having your FSH, your follicle-stimulating hormone, your luteinizing hormone, LH, and then estradiol, um, as well as anti-malarian hormone checked, um, I think is essential as well. Those are some of the basics. I always, if I'm doing that, will also throw in progesterone as well to, to have that looked at and, and um, take into account with the whole picture. And ideally, in a perfect scenario, and I know that's hard with PCOS women because if you're not having a regular cycle or no cycle at all, this could be difficult, but ideally those last uh, set of, um, of hormones, the LH, FSH, and estradiol are done on day two, three, or four of your cycle. Okay. And then uh, what about thyroid? You know, so many, as you know, so many women with PCOS um, are hypothyroid or even have Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune thyroid um, condition, and are often um, don't even know they have it. And I know that that can really come into play when it comes to trying to conceive, to sort of know where you are with your thyroid yeah, I think it's an it's an excellent point. Fifty percent of my PCOS patients have some aspect of a thyroid disorder, 
Um, so absolutely, I do test all my PCOS patients for um, with a complete thyroid panel, including the antibodies like you mentioned to test for the Hashimoto's disease. That's going to be a much harder process, I, I believe, to get ordered through your gynecologist. Um, one, because most gynecologists, um, I think, do a poor job of managing thyroid in general, and right. they're not the most comfortable with it, so they tend to refer out to, their, to the endocrinologist. But um, additionally, you know, in the Western world, the treatment for thyroid disease and the most common thyroid issue, hypothyroidism, is um, Synthroid or some variation of that. And so they only tend, because Synthroid works on regulating TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, they only tend to test that. Maybe you'd get, if you're lucky, get another one of the hormones tested. But there's upwards of nine or ten different thyroid hormones that can and should be tested. And most physicians are not going to want to order that. They're somewhat binded by insurance companies and being scrutinized on their own. And so it's really, I find it's very hard to have patients get those tested through their um, gynecologist and, and, quite frankly, even through their uh, endocrinologist as well because it mm -hmm. wouldn't really dramatically change their treatment at all. So I find that I'm usually the one ordering those um, more often than not for my patients um, when it comes to thyroid. But I do think it's an, an essential piece to figuring it out. For me, that goes a little bit beyond the basics of finding out um, about PCOS, um, your, you know, your, your hormones for PCOS, but I do think that in the long run, that it absolutely has to be tested. And, and I should um, kind of expand a little bit on, on the blood work side of things. I even go a step further when I'm testing hormones for patients. So I do the blood work that I mentioned earlier, and I do the thyroid um, uh, blood labs as well that, I, that we just discussed, but I go a step above that, and I do a, um, a dried urine hormone panel, uh, also known as a Dutch test. And, and I do that for a couple of reasons, um, because one, it gives me a lot more information on a woman's hormones, and it tells me what their how they're metabolizing their, and using their hormones. So I, I don't just see, let's just say, the, um, that testosterone is elevated. I'm going to see the byproducts of the testosterone, the androgens, and see where a woman is more prone to in, in, um, in their androgen side. So are they more prone to, to develop more androgenic, uh, more potent androgenic type of symptomology like the classic PCOS-like symptoms, or are they not prone to that? Are they going to be the atypical PCOS patient? Um, and so that gives me a lot of useful information in the treatment side of things more so. Um, and then additionally, because I do find that stress is such a big part of managing right. PCOS, that the Dutch test also gives me an adrenal profile, um, mm -hmm. which gives me useful information in terms of managing the stress side of things. I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the, the stress it really is so toxic and wreaks havoc on women with PCOS. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've worked with uh, a client on lifestyle um, who's, like, really actively trying to conceive. And I just ask them to consider taking, you know, while they're in my program, taking six months off and just focus on their health. Um, and it's once you sort of let that pressure off and that stress of trying to conceive, um, you know, in addition to making these diet, lifestyle, mindset shifts, 
um, what it ha- what can happen for women's fertility, and I'm sure you've seen that in your work as well. Oh, absolutely. I've seen it in both ways, the way you just described it, and I have a specific patient that comes to mind who um, I've been working with her for, for quite some time in, you know, for initially getting her to have a cycle and maintain the regularity of it, um, and now she's on maintenance until she's getting ready to start trying because when she came, she wasn't um, she wasn't married yet and she wasn't trying. Um, and the only time that her cycles become irregular now is when her stress levels increase. Um, mm-hmm. Invariably, every time I ask her what what's changed for you, she says, "Well, my diet's the same, my exercise, everything else is the same, but her stress levels increase." And so. I see it in both sides that if they relax and forget about it for a little bit and kind of just enjoy life, like you mentioned, that the likelihood of them getting pregnant increases. And then on the flip side, um, also that it it does show that their cycles go away um, if their stress increases. I'm not sure if you've seen a recent study that came out. I think now it's probably been, I saw it maybe two or three months ago, that showed that women who are under more stress, during their fertile window have a 40% less chance of conception that cycle. Wow. That is really significant. It's significant, yeah. So for those of you who really want to learn how to reduce your stress, uh, we have two great podcasts, one with, I know, um, Dr. Sklar, one of your colleagues, um, Amy Ropp, and we talked about... Uh, learning like mindset shifts and and managing stress and when you're trying to conceive and also with Dr. Victoria Mazes. So check out those podcasts. Um, but Dr. Sklar, so that and now I, the, that Dutch test sounds really amazing. So what um, what can you do for women when you have all of that extra information about their hormone profile? Yeah, I think once you have this information, that really sets the stage for how you move forward. You know, I I get questions often on my Facebook page or emails. I've got PCOS. Can you tell me what I can do? And it's you know it's 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 just not how I work, right? I work on more customizing plans for patients, and so this really allows me to do that for you. Um, and so um, this also helps sets the stage for. Um, you know, developing the lifestyle and the plan for what you're going to do preconception, which will lead into the pregnancy itself and, and maintaining those that progress that allowed you to get pregnant into sustaining a healthy pregnancy. And so a lot of that will not only influence the supplementation that I give, but that's right. that by far is something that it, it does influence quite a bit is how I supplement a patient. But it will also influence what I do with diet, um, especially what I do with exercise and stress. Um, and so it really has um, a far, those, those labs have such a far-reaching effect in, in how, I, how I approach a patient and how patients should approach themselves and their health overall because we always hear these kind of um, like blanket statements with almost any health condition, right? And so if they know a little bit more about their individualized um, issues, then they could, they could focus more so in one area where maybe they've been focusing on a different area um, in the past. And so... I think this really helps to get them started on their plan to developing not only a healthy um, lifestyle before pregnancy, but into the pregnancy itself. Mm. 
So what do you like to do for patients that are not ovulating? I know that's, for a lot of women with PCOS, that's one of the, the main issues. Um, you know, I know that the um, kind of mainstream approach is using Clomid or, or now Letrozole. Um, is, do you have other ways that you work with women to help them ovulate, or is it kind of a combination of those pharmaceuticals and acupuncture or... Um, maybe you can kind of give us some insight. Yeah. So, um, well, I try as much as possible not to use pharmaceuticals when we can. And if the patient, you know, is up for it and lets me, um, I find that, one, it's a little bit easier for me to get results. The only time that I do think someone needs the pharmaceuticals is if they've got a really extreme case of PCOS and it just makes sense to try to get that under control as as quickly as possible. And so sometimes, you know, that's when I'll start to blend um, those things. But it's typically not just pharmaceuticals that I'm recommending. It's usually, you know, it would be that in conjunction with all the other um, changes that, that we'll discuss. So I, as you mentioned it, so I'll start there. I love acupuncture for PCOS. There's tons of amazing research studies on the use of acupuncture to um, facilitate ovulation allow patients to get a regular menstrual cycle and uh, support conception. And so that is a big uh, part of my pa of my patient population locally here in San Diego. And, and for my patients who I work with remotely, then I do typically recommend that they're doing acupuncture in some way. Um, so I think that's a wonderful way to get their, um, their cycles in order. And then it's really about that, that secret recipe that how much of exercise do we put in, how much of um, stress reduction, how much of the supplementation. And, and I do think that when they're anovulatory completely, that supplementation is going to be essential. But the lifestyle and the diet can't be ignored because ideally, I don't think any patient wants to stay on either medication or supplements forever. Um, and so that's where I find the, the lifestyle, the stress management, and the diet come into play because once we get, get, have gotten them to have a regular cycle, we can start to pull back on some of those other things and watch their body maintain the progress that they've achieved thus far, which is, which is awesome to see. Um, but acupuncture is great. I do like, um, you know, depending on what we're seeing in their blood work, certainly regulating their blood sugar um, and and reducing the androgens. I find if we can reduce the androgen load and um, allow them to maintain their blood sugars appropriately, um, but I do think that the androgens is a bigger key to it if that's a if that's a, a playing a piece of the puzzle, then I do think doing that is, is huge. And so that could be done through some dietary modifications. I mean, green tea is a wonderful thing that helps yeah. reduce um, uh, testosterone levels. Um, and then um, and then there's other, depending on the severity of it, I, there's other things that I like to use as well. Um, Myo-inositol is, is, a, is a key one that I like with uh, D-Cairo, um, and that's a nice... Yeah, and nice I'm just going to interrupt. For for those of you that have seen Avocetol, that's one of the popular combo uh, exactly. myo-inositol, yeah, um, D-Cairo products that people and might there, be familiar with. Yeah, exactly, and, and there was a wonderful new study that came out, although a small uh, patient population load, that did show the benefits of resveratrol on PCOS and, and yeah. regulating 
models, which is awesome. I love to see new research like that. And so that's um, that's also another one that can be used. Yeah, and I have to clarify because I can't tell you how many articles I'm seeing online saying drink red wine if you have PCOS. No. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> so maybe you could just um, you know clarify that for us. Resveratrol is the the antioxidant that's extracted from the the grapes themselves or from the wine in the extraction pro in the in the making of it. It's not the wine, although wine does have resveratrol, but you'd have to drink so much red wine <laughs> to get that. <laughs> which uh, defeats the purpose because now, you know, you'll be an alcoholic. So <laughs> um, the 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 benefit is, is not from drinking the, the red wine itself. You really want the, the extract, which can be found uh, typically in some sort of supplement form, either liquid or um, or pill. Um, it will does not have any alcohol in it, and um, it does show some promising results, which is uh, nice to see, and, and I think something that's safe to take as well, as long as it's not in the, the alcohol form. <laughs> right, right. Um, so what about um, peony and licorice? I mean, I know that's um, something that possibly could be kind of an ovulation inducer f um, for women with PCOS. Yeah, you, you know, I don't isolate just because of the way my Chinese medicine mind works and my training. I don't tend to isolate individual Chinese herbs because that's just not how they tended to work. Um, and so I, I do use them in formulation um, and, and in a more uh, robust formula for patients. And I do mm -hmm. think that they work wonderfully. Um, mm -hmm. But those are specifically, you know, I don't recommend anyone just try and go find those two. I think that um, I use anywhere between three and five different herbal formulas on patients more commonly with PCOS, and it all depends on how they're diagnosed from a Chinese medicine perspective. And so their underlying diagnosis was, is what's going to dictate which herbs um, or which formula we use. But peony um, and licorice are ones that can be found very often in those formulas as well. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to highlight that there are alternatives to these pharmaceuticals if that is something that you're not really interested in. And, and um, you know, Chinese medicine isn't something that I think our regular allopath doctors really recognize, um, but there's just a tremendous amount of value um, and I just kind of wanted to bring that to listeners' attention yeah. too. I think it's an I think it's an excellent point. If you if you're listening and you think that the only way to regulate your cycle and induce ovulation is with Clomid, or you've been told metformin's going to do it, I I can assure you that for 95% of you listening, you can do it in a different way that's more natural. And that's one of the things I try to instill in my patients. Um, I will say, though, on that note, like if you're looking for the easy fix and the the pill that's going to do that for you, that's just not how natural medicine works. Um, and and so it usually takes a little bit longer, um, although oftentimes, you know, we get results fairly quickly, but it usually takes a little bit longer than I'm going to give you Clomid for five days and you're going to ovulate, you know, 10 days from now, right? You know, so it doesn't work in that fashion um, that quickly. And if that's what you're looking for, you know, you might need to look elsewhere. But um, I do think that the natural approach is extremely powerful and very, very effective um, if you give it just a little bit of time. Yeah, and the great benefit is you're getting your body healthy to support a healthy pregnancy. Um, yeah.
So, so why don't we dive into that topic, um, yes. kind of Fixing preparing the, I, yourself for a healthy no. pregnancy. So, sorry, what was that? Um, just like what, what can we do to prepare ourselves for a healthy pregnancy? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of goes along with the points that we've just been saying that, you know, if you, if you, if you stick with some of the pharmaceutical things, they're not fixing anything. They're trying to uh, circumvent it and, and trying to force the issue. Whereas if you're really focusing um, more so on the natural perspective, that the real goal with natural medicine is that we're trying to correct things at its core so that way the issue gets handled more more effectively, and so that's where focusing on all those on all those core areas in advance is going to not only benefit you to start a regular cycle and uh, induce ovulation more regularly and consistently, and hopefully get you pregnant, but it's also going to allow you to maintain a much healthier uh, pregnancy moving forward. And this is not just for your benefit as as the intended mom. Um, so that you have a healthier pregnancy, but it's also for the benefit of the baby as well, because there is plenty of research shows that the that your genetic makeup when you during conception and during the gestational process of pregnancy absolutely affects the genetic makeup and health of the baby that you're carrying. So making sure that you're focusing on your um, your your right moderate exercise regimen, right? Not too much, not too little, which is key. Um, focusing on your nutrition. So once you know where you're, where you need to be at with um, what you're trying to affect in your blood work, then really creating the plan there. And I find that that's by far the hardest for patients. Um, you know, eating right is not is not made so easy for us, at least here in the U.S. And so it's not it's also not as convenient. And so a lot of that really comes into a lot of the preparatory work. I find that the patients who are most successful with the dietary changes and the lifestyle changes have planned things out, have gone shopping, have scheduled it, have made time to cook um, and prepare their food. They have the right ingredients at home so they're not scrounging when they're hungry, right? They have the right foods. Um, it takes a lot of effort up front until you kind of make it your own and it becomes routine. But I find that that's really, really key Um to success is having the plan for the week and knowing what you want to have and having those ingredients at home or, or having the, that buddy that's going to go with you and go walking or exercising three, four, five times a week that you can count on um, and is going to be there for you. And then um, really, as, as you mentioned, Amy, working on your stress, and you can either do that through stress management techniques um, it's one of the things that I find myself working more and more with patients on is helping them um, with their stress and how to manage it and giving them tools for that. And acupuncture is also a wonderful thing for stress management. It helps you relax. It resets the nervous system and gives you time for yourself and a space for that, which is excellent. And so those are some keys that I think is, is really important to preparing for pregnancy, which would really lead into how you develop a healthy and maintain a healthy pregnancy as well. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned, you know, planning and food shopping and and I call that like sizzling in the kitchen. Um and that's a big part of my jumpstart program is to help women learn how to meal plan and to get in the kitchen and cook real whole food from scratch. And you're right, it's not easy to get that all set up, but boy, the you really reap the benefits and it's 
so worthwhile because I think that's the number one thing we can do to, you know, help our PCOS. And I'm just so glad that you mentioned that. Um, the other point that I was going to make about the stress is I just discovered this great little device. It's called Aspire, S-P-I-R-E. And you just, um, it's like a little soft river rock on a clip. And you, like, clip it, like, on your bra. And it measures your breathing. And it's attached to your app, your like an iPhone app. So it will tell you if you've been breathing shallow, shallow or if it sort of senses based on your breathing whether you're stressed. And it will remind you to breathe and take some deep breaths. And that has done wonders for me. So I just thought I'd share that little tip. I love it. That's great because one of the things I really talk to patients about is just um, – it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be for a long period of time and it doesn't have to be super complicated it could just be about breathing like you mentioned you know and and i always used when the phone rings or your cell phone vibrates before you answer it take a moment use that as your as the 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 meditation bell that as soon as that happens that you take a moment you stop you pause you take a deep breath in and out before you answer you know just as like a little tool mechanism because we're always yeah, yeah. we're like Love's dog, right? The phone rings and we jump to it. Right? <laughs> so just kind of taking that stress away from the phone ringing is just also another simple tool. But I'm going to check out the Spire. That sounds great. Yeah, it really is. I think it's about a $99, so it's a little bit of an investment, but um, it's, it's really well worth it. It's made a, a big difference in my life. Um, so finally, let's just talk a little bit about your your diet protocol for women, um, especially to avoid gestational diabetes during pregnancy. Yeah. So, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to come back to that point anyway, is that if you set yourself up right before you get pregnant and you've made all the, you know, as you mentioned, you do the sizzle work beforehand and you do all the, the preparatory work and you make it part of your lifestyle so it's easy and commonplace for you, then you're really setting yourself up right to maintain and prevent gestational diabetes um, once you're pregnant. And I find the patients who are able to do that in advance are the ones who are the most successful once they are pregnant in preventing it and keeping it at bay. And so that's really where it comes back to, I think that the key here is managing sugars and carbs, which essentially are the same thing. But those are going to be some of the key factors um, and key components to managing um, our diet, which are not the easiest because those fill us up and they they make it easy. But we have to find the right carbs for ourselves, um, the right grains, and you know I like to I like a little bit of quinoa. I like the the sweet potatoes and uh, and yams. But with everything, as my mom always whispered in my ear, and now I hear her talking in my head almost constantly. <laughs> everything in moderation. So. <laughs> You know, it's it's also okay if we slip up a little bit or we consciously know that we're going to not eat appropriately for our diet as long as we don't allow that to be a stressful moment for us, right? So if you give yourself a little bit of flexibility once you've got things managed that, oh, okay, 10% of the time or 20% of the time I can give myself a little room to wiggle and that that doesn't increase your stress and you don't beat yourself up for it, then I think that's okay. 
Um, but in general, really managing your, your carb load, um, really focusing on your vegetable intake, your protein, and your fat, I think are the key components for me. And I think if you can really focus on a healthy balance of protein, fat, um, and veggies, and veggies being, you know, your, your main component of carbs, um, and then if you have a little bit of, you know, what, what some of you might think of as carbs in terms of, you know, um, a sweet potato or some quinoa or something like that, then I think that starts to even things out quite a bit. Um, and that takes some persistence in initially, but that will pretty much become your own in a short period of time as well. And I think if you're able to do that, then you're really able to maintain and prevent gestational diabetes. And one of my favorite books that I try to have patients reference um, who have PCOS once I find out they are pregnant is um, is a book by uh, Lily Nichols on it's it's called I think it's called Preventing Gestational Diabetes, um, but it's all diet based, uh, completely diet based. And her specialty for most of her professional career has been on in the gestational diabetes spectrum, but working for the state. And now she's basically written a book on how you can do it on your own, um, which is excellent as well. Oh, I haven't heard of that book, so I'm definitely going to have to check that out. It sounds like a great resource. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's excellent. Yeah, I mean, I think for women listening, we, we have we're we're definitely getting away from that misnomer that you know you're eating for two, um, or yes. that you can kind of let it let it all go once once you finally do get pregnant, because um, that we just can't really let that happen. Yeah, I tell patients just because you're pregnant doesn't give you the right to eat like crap now. Um, it's actually even more important of a time for you to eat well, and it's more difficult, especially in the first trimester, to do that as well. I recognize that. It's not as easy. Um, but if you set yourself up right in advance, it, it should it should be easier to maintain. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to ask, what do you, and because I know I was one of those women with horrible morning sickness for all three pregnancies, um, and I found that you know, I had to force myself to have some protein, um, and that was what usually made me feel a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any, any tips for women with, and it seems like women with PCOS, from my experience working and listening, hearing from women, do have quite a bit of morning sickness that first trimester. Yeah. They do, they do. So I think my keys, and actually before I forget, because I pulled it up, um, Lily's book is called Real Food for... Uh, gestational diabetes, um, and sh- um, you know the key, the key there with with the nausea and morning sickness in the first trimester is really one to eat, not to overeat, and not to undereat, and not to overdrink, and not to underdrink. Right. So it's about having some food always in your stomach, even though you don't necessarily want to eat. But if you can get ahead of it, you're going to feel much better in the long run. So like every two to three hours pushing it. You know, you need to be eating something even if it's just something small. And then I do find that the more protein you can get in, the better you're going to feel even though you might not be attracted to it. Um, And it's okay, you know, I also want patients to recognize it's okay to have carbs in the first trimester. That's what you're craving. And the baby actually needs that in the developmental process, but we just can't overdo it. So we do need to be mindful of what that means and and how much carbs are okay um, and in what form. So try to stick with, um, 
you know, like the, the sweet potatoes and vegetables as carbs. And um, Lily gives some wonderful recommendations in the book of kind of how to set yourself up with, with uh, meal planning as well. Um, but those are some of the keys. If you need um, like a, something more hearty, if you will, you know, you can find some just simple simple crackers, although I, I would urge you to make them gluten-free versus not, but um, you can find a little bit of that, but then mix that with some fat and or, and or some protein so that you're, you're, it's sustained for longer periods of time in the body and it, it doesn't set off your blood sugar. It helps to regulate it. And that's where the fat and that protein combination really come in to manage um, blood sugar. Well, you've given us so much really great information in our, our short amount of time together. Um, now, for those women that would be interested in that Dutch test and maybe having you, um, you know, go over their labs with recommendations, how can um, women listening find out more about, you know, your work and working with you? Yeah, so, um, you know, you can find me for, for those in San Diego, you can find me locally in San Diego, but for those abroad um, and outside the city, then I work virtually, and my website is marksklar.com, um, and Amy will have a link, but it's M-A-R-C-S-K-L-A-R, and you can work with me, you know, either one-on-one -on -one privately or through one of my programs, and I do have a specific uh, or special online um, e-course for PCOS that allows you, gives you the, the basics from beginning to end on how to figure out where you fall into your um, phenotype or what type of PCOS you have, and then how to move forward and address that through diet and supplementation and lifestyle, and gives you all the resources and tools for that as well. Great. Well, we'll have all that information at the bottom of the podcast. And thank you so much for your time, Dr. Sklar. It was um, a pleasure. Thanks so much, Amy, for having me. I love being here. Well, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye. This PCOS Diva podcast is proud to be sponsored by OvuSense Real-Time Ovulation Monitor, helping women with PCOS to take back control of their cycles. OvuSense is a true fertility monitor that can help you to track fertility medications and supplements along with any positive health changes you make to see if they're having an effect. Find out how OvuSense can help you to understand your fertility at OvuSense, O-V-U-S-E-N-S-E.com. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health.